0: Well, for months now, uh, what seems like years, politicians have screamed at us, literally in some cases, that they represent hope for America. That they alone have the solutions to those things that plague our nation and our lives as individuals. They say it with words like, believe me. The truth is that no matter who you plan on voting for, on November 8th, that on November 9th, after we have elected a new president of this country, I can guarantee you one thing, that there is no politician that represents true hope. There is no politician which has the answers to those things which plague our nation and our world. In fact, the creator of all that was, that is, and that ever will be said something very different about where hope would be found. Long before President Ronald Reagan said this, many of us remember him saying this. He said it several times actually in his presidency. He referred to America as a shining city on a hill. And While we would all like to believe that that is true, was true, or could be true, Jesus emphatically declared in his Sermon on the Mount that his followers would actually be the light of the world. In fact, he said in Matthew chapter 5, you are the light of the world. He didn't suggest that there's this possibility that if somehow you'll just kind of pull yourselves up a little bit, you'll just get yourself psyched up, if we'll just have a pep rally, that somehow, some way, you might be able to be the light of the world. No, Jesus said that if you're a follower of his, He said that you are the light of the world. That's what he intends us to be by nature because we've been transformed by his light. And now we reflect that and we are the light of the world. He went on to say, A city set on a hill can't be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand so that it gives light to the whole house. Jesus said in the same way, Let your light shine before men, before others, so that they can see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I've always been struck by these words that Chuck Colson penned. Chuck Colson, if you're not uh, familiar uh, with him, he was involved in the Watergate scandal during the Nixon administration. It was during that time period subsequently to his crime that he came to know Jesus as his personal Savior, and he stood up boldly and valiantly for his faith he wrote these words the hope that each of us have is not in who governs us or what laws are passed or what great things we do as a nation he said this our hope is in the power of God working through the hearts of people and that's where our hope is in this country And that's where our hope is in this life. Do you believe that that's true? I'm amazed at how many times I sit and talk with Christians. Well-meaning people who are convinced that somehow if we elect the right people, if we have the right people in Congress, if we have the right president, that somehow they'll be able to fix this thing. And yet as followers of Jesus, it actually is so simple. We're the fix? We're the fix because the gospel message, if you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus, that gospel message has invaded your life. It's transformed you. It's changed you. And as a result of that, we have the opportunity to be a light to this world. And so Northwest Community Church is made up of followers of Jesus who are called to be the light of the world, and together we have the responsibility, yes, but I would argue the great privilege to be the light of the world. And this morning I want to remind you that as the light of the world, we are to be a place of hope for our community that so often wonders if there is any hope. Now, most people understand hope in this way, that hope is wishful thinking. In other words, I hope something will happen. I I don't control it, and I don't know what will happen, but I hope it will happen. Every year during this particular time period, and if you're like me, and you're just a little bit obsessed with college football, you have high hopes for your team. There are actually some of you that are here this morning, and you're Wolfpack fans, and this morning, you... Before game one, you, I know because I've lived here 21 years, you are full of hope. And Tar Heel fans, don't laugh because some of you are in the same situation. And Duke, you've had a little blip, and so you have a little bit of hope well. And I hope that the Wolfpack will have a great football season. I certainly don't have any certainty that that's going to happen. I just would desire that that would take place. That's how most of us view hope. Most of the time when we express hope, we express it with a degree of uncertainty. But that is not the characteristic of biblical hope. It's interesting that biblical hope is characterized by confident expectation. Biblical hope is a firm assurance regarding something that is unclear or something that is unknown. And for a follower of Jesus, the word hope doesn't communicate uncertainty. It communicates certainty because we know who God is. We know that because he's God and because he loved us that he sent his son Jesus to die for us. We know that he didn't stay in a grave that three days later he rose victoriously from that grave. And so our hope is based on certainty this morning. It's confident expectation. In fact, the apostle, the disciple Peter understood well this idea of biblical hope. You remember when he ran to the tomb that first Easter Sunday morning and recognized that the tomb was empty, that exactly what he and others had been told would happen actually had happened. He knew that that was a game changer, that that day everything had changed for mankind. He knew that Jesus was alive. He knew that the sacrifice on the cross had been accomplished and had been accepted by God as evidenced by his resurrection of his son. A payment for the sin debt of humanity had been paid in full and there was a message of hope for people you have to understand during the time in which Peter was living and subsequently that he would write in his first and second letters during that time period it was a time when people were of all times in human history they were hopeless certainly the jewish people were hopeless and it's about 30 years later that Peter writes to followers of Jesus who are being persecuted and oppressed in the culture in which they lived Their lives were difficult. There was disappointment on a regular basis. I know you know what I'm talking about when I talk about that there are disappointments in life. And certainly we have that from time to time. Maybe you've experienced disappointment in your life just this week. These people were experiencing disappointment and oppression almost every single day of their lives. And it's to those people and to us, because it's included in God's Word, that Peter penned these words. And if you have your Bible this morning, turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. We don't have time to exposit this text this morning. About five years ago, we did a series in the book of 1 Peter. It's an incredible book. In fact, these nine verses that I'm going to read to you are full of incredibly deep, rich, meaty vegetable type doctrine and uh, I wish we had an opportunity to exposit it today we don't but I want to read it to you and just make a few comments in verse 1 Peter writes Peter an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who are elect exiles it's an exile these are people that weren't living where they were supposed to be living it's like in our in our day we we would we would look at, it, at the, the Syrian refugees who they are Syrian and they'd love to be living in Syria, but because of turmoil, they have been dispersed. That's who Peter is writing to those types of people. Elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. According to the foreknowledge of the God, of God the Father, and the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. I love that. I know you don't get as excited as I do right at the beginning here this morning about what it means to have a living hope, but that, my friends, is a game changer. That we, we, we have a living hope. How do we have a living hope? He goes on to say, it's because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You remember that when, Pete, when uh, Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, and he talked about the validity of the resurrection and the importance of the resurrection, that if there is no resurrection, what did he say? He said, you're foolish for doing what you do. If there is no resurrection. You're foolish for being here today. You're foolish to let a middle-aged white guy stand up on a stage and yell stuff at you. You're foolish. That would be silly. That would be stupid. That would be a waste of time if there is no resurrection. But guess what? There is a resurrection. And because there is a resurrection, we have a living hope. And what happens as a result of that? Verse 4, to an inheritance that is imperishable. Some of you are going to get inheritances down here, and you're going to enjoy them. My family has absolutely no money. I'm not getting anything down here, and I grieve that sometimes. But guess what? I have been saved because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, because of the living hope that I have. I have an imperishable inheritance. Everything that you inherit, I don't care how much it is, guess what? When you go, you're leaving it behind. You understand that, right? You're not taking it with you. You don't even really control where it goes. You say, oh, yes, I do. I've got a will. My attorney knows. (laughs) Good luck with that, right? You don't know. When you give it to those kids who say, oh, yeah, well, we'll do this with it. We know what dad's, mom's wishes are. You don't know. You don't know what's going to happen. When you leave, you leave and you leave it all behind, Yet Peter says that we've been saved to receive an inheritance that is imperishable. It's undefiled. It's unfading. And guess where it's kept? Not on this earth where moth and rust corrupt and thieves break through and steal. No, it's kept for us in heaven who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Verse 6, in this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then he writes to them much like he would write to us if he were writing to us today. He says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And you rejoice with that joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Have you ever been around people who have had tragic loss in their life? Who have unimaginable grief because of something that's taken place, and yet for whatever reason, they're full of joy that is inexpressible? And we look at them, and sometimes the world looks at us, if we respond as we should biblically based on being having an understanding of biblical living hope and we look at them and we say, how is that possible? Well, it's possible because we realize this is temporary. You see, this is just but for a moment. This isn't where eternity lies down here for seven or eight or nine or ten decades. We have a treasure in heaven. Verse 9, obtaining the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. And so hope then is a joyful assurance that God will extend his benefits to us and that Jesus Christ will return. He said he would return in John 14. His angels declared it emphatically that he would return in Acts 1. And the epistles made it practically impossible for us to believe that Jesus would not return. And so Peter perfectly portrays the gospel That the gospel is a message of hope for all people who ultimately come to understand that life lived for just this moment always produces hopelessness. Do you believe that that's true? That if you live life simply for what you see right now and for the pleasures that you can get right now, you will always find at the end of the road hopelessness. In fact, Jesus said it as he interacted with people during his ministry on earth he said in Matthew chapter 16 he said what does it profit a man or a woman if they gain the whole world and do what they lose their own soul what does it profit them if they gain the whole world and they lose their own soul as satisfying as the world is at times and I'm one of those guys that would never stand up and say the world can never satisfy. no the world can satisfy momentarily can't it The world can satisfy for moments in time, certain moments, those of us that are a little bit older, certain seasons in life, man, life here on this earth brings great pleasure, does it not? Okay, it does for me. None of the rest of you, it doesn't. I get it, but for me, it does. There's moments where I go, heaven is there and it'll be good someday, but right now, it doesn't get any better than this. Guess where I'm going to be next Saturday? I'm going to be at one of the greatest places to watch a college football game in America. I'm going to be at the University of Nebraska. I'm going to have awesome seats. I'm going to be there with my son and his wife and Diana who loves them but cares nothing about that. And and I'm telling you, I know for a moment, some of you are getting excited for me. For a moment, I'm going to go, if this is heaven, I want to go now right? Because there are moments right now that satisfy. But can I remind you that the end result of a life that has lived for satisfaction right here on this planet for seven, eight, nine, or ten decades, if you live for the satisfaction on this planet, you're going to get to the end of your life and tragically realize that you have wasted your life enjoyed watching some of the Olympic games. Did you watch the Olympics? I started out kind of slow and I thought, eh, very exciting as they've been in previous years. And then I started getting into it and I found myself a few weeks ago on the treadmill. I don't know what I was doing there, but I found myself, <laughs> how would I think about it? Yes, I do. Every time I look in the mirror, I know what I'm doing there. Now, this is right after I'd watched Usain Bolt, you know. I, what? Unbelievable, right? I mean, just unbelievable. And I thought, you know, man, what would it be like? What would it be like to be known as the world's fastest man? I'll never know that, but I just thought, what would it be like? And the story, uh, there were stories that were told all during the Olympics, Uh, just really, really cool stories. some of the, uh, the people who have fled areas in the Middle East and, and competing and, and others. The, the greatest story that I, at least the story that I most remember and, and probably appreciated the most was the story of the world's most decorated Olympian whose story of hopelessness turned into a story of hope. You know, in 2014, it would have appeared as if Michael Phelps had gained the whole world, as Jesus said, the world's most decorated Olympian even going into this year's Olympic Games, and yet for some reason he found out that that did not satisfy. And soon after being arrested in 2014 and charged with his second DUI, Phelps said this, he said, my life was spiraling out of control and I wondered if I even wanted to live. You say, What? I mean, you wondered if you even wanted to live. I mean, dude, you got medals hanging all, Everybody recognizes you. You can't go anywhere where they don't go, wow, there's Michael Phelps. And you don't know if you want to live. He went to rehab for his addiction to alcohol, and it was during that time that a former NFL star with a story of his own desperation, Ray Lewis, sent him a copy of Pastor Rick Warren's book, The Purpose Driven Life. I watched, in fact, I get goosebumps even as I say it. I watched a little video clip this week of Ray Lewis talking about sending this book to Michael Phelps and his subsequent interactions with him as he was there at this rehab center and as he was processing through in a very elementary way what it means to be a follower of Jesus and understand that you have a purpose for your life. And he said day by day as I talked to him, I just saw him beginning to understand who he really was, that he wasn't just an Olympic athlete, he wasn't just the world's most decorated Olympian, that God loved him and had a purpose and a plan for his life. He became known there at the rehab center, it's just unbelievable to even think about it, but he became known as Preacher Mike. Phelps said, when you fall to the lowest point in your life, you're you're open to a lot of things to try and change it and get back on the right path. Do you recognize that our community is filled with people who have fallen to what they believe to be the lowest point in their life today? Do you get that? Do you even understand it? Are some of you so disconnected from the real world and you live in the holy huddle so often that You don't understand that there are people out there that they believe that today they are at the lowest point in their life. And you know what? Just as Michael Phelps said, when you fall to the lowest point in your life, you're open to a lot of things. The question is, is who's going to intersect their life? A person of hope who's experienced the living hope because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Some politician some person who simply babbles, psychobabble to them? Or a follower of Jesus whose life has been transformed and changed by the gospel? And all indications are that Michael Phelps found in Jesus hope for his hopelessness. And there was change. You see, when you come to understand that there's a power that is greater than yourself, we call him God. And that he loved you enough that he sent his one and only son to die upon a cross for a debt that he did not owe, to pay a debt that we owed that we couldn't possibly pay on our own. When you come to understand that and you place your trust in Christ alone as your personal Savior, then that is where hope begins. It is with that understanding. And if you're part of Northwest and you have a personal relationship with Jesus, the relationship that you were created to have, then you are equipped to be a person of hope. That's why a little over two years ago, we laid out a vision for you about building a campus that would be a place of hope for this community. And many of you made a three year commitment to that vision. And I want to take just a moment to say thank you uh, for those of you that have been incredibly faithful at giving uh, to that pledge, and some of you that have gone above and beyond that pledge. We had consultants that, uh, that told us that, uh, not to get too excited about the amount of money that was pledged because there'll be a certain percentage of people that just won't pledge it. They'll get excited about, it, about the campaign and about the vision and then they'll kind of tail off and they won't give and that's not been true, at least up to this point. So thank you for that. We've been patiently waiting on uh, city water and sewer infrastructure to be built so that we can sell our residential portion of our property and then get on with the first phase of our campus. I never thought that there would be a moment in my life when I was waiting for a sewer pump station to be built. I mean, it doesn't really sound very exciting, right? I mean, you read Michael Phelps' story and you think, man, he's out there, he's swimming, and I'm waiting as a pastor for a pump station to be built. You know what a pump station is, right? You, You get that, right? Within the next several weeks, we hope, with biblical hope, confident expectation, right? Now, we hope that uh, the construction will be started uh, on not only the water line, but the sewer pump station as well. There are bulldozers on that property, uh, even as we're here this morning. And there are a few little things that have to be worked out, but we believe that that process will begin in the next uh, few weeks, certainly in the next couple of months, and we hope to be able to announce to you soon. Uh, that we'll have a contract on our residential property. Would you pray with me to that end? I know some of you are so incredibly excited about that. I guarantee you, you're probably not at least any more excited uh, than I am. You don't desire it to happen probably any more than I do or our elder team or those on our staff. But would, would you pray that, that this will become reality? Here's the incredible truth about the church as God intends it to be, though. Since it was established just weeks after his resurrection in the book of Acts, it was never intended, God's church, it was never intended to be known as a building. Have you ever said when you went to another church, not when you went to this church probably, but when you went to another church, let's go to the church. Anybody ever said that? Because you think, oh, the church is a building, right? It's It's a place, It was never intended to be that way. A building can never be a place of hope unless it is occupied by people of hope, right? can't happen. People who have experienced new life in Jesus are people of hope, and when they go to a place, that place becomes a place of hope. For example, this morning, Panther Creek High School is a place of hope. Tomorrow, when some of you come here, it won't be a place of hope anymore, Right? It, it, it'll, be, it'll be a place of torture that you will endure all the way till June, right? But for today, because God's people are here, this is a place of hope. And you know what the world is waiting to see? The world is waiting to see whether or not what we say we have is better than what they're experiencing and they have right now. You know, the problem with some of us is that we live the Christian life unlike it was intended to be lived, there is no joy, there is no excitement, there is no enthusiasm in our life. We don't live our life as if we've experienced the living hope, as if we, we have hope that there's something more beyond this. And as a result, the world looks around us and says, it ain't working too well for you. Or, I definitely don't want what you have because what I got, it looks a little bit better than what you have. Well, we don't ever simply want to be known for the corner our buildings occupy. Wouldn't it be tragic if 10 years from now, the people in this community knew Northwest Community Church simply as the building that's on the corner of Morrisville Parkway and White Oak Church Road? Wouldn't that be tragic? We want to be known as a people of hope who interact with and intersect with people in this community at their greatest times of need. That's what we want to be known for. Don't you want Northwest Community Church to be known as a people and a place where you come to find hope. Wouldn't it be great for people in your neighborhood when you say, I'm part of Northwest Community Church, they go, I have a friend that goes to Northwest. And they told me this, that, and other thing was going on in their life, and that somebody invited them to come, and, or they intersected with this person who goes to that church, and as a result, boy, things are really different. That's, that's what I know about that. Wouldn't it be better to be known as a people in a place of hope than it would be just a building that's ultimately going to fall down and be nothing but rubble someday? Have you ever felt hopeless? Some of us are in good times in our life right now, and maybe there's been a time in the past, but we've kind of forgotten what it means to be hopeless, what it means to be desperate. Many in this community, some in this auditorium this morning, have lost hope. It's staggering to me. To realize how many marriages and families are broken or in the process of crumbling. Many have come to the conclusion that there's no answers. Come to the conclusion just after 28 years of pastoral ministry that a very, very high percentage of marriages inside and outside the church of families are nowhere near what God intended for them to be. And there's people that are involved in those situations and they feel hopeless. One of the unspoken problems that's just starting to come to the forefront in some of our media, and it's, it's definitely going on in our country, but I believe it's happening right here in our community, and that is an addiction to prescription drugs. I venture to say that if we knew what was going on in everybody's, li- in everybody's life who attended the first service or the second service, that problem, there could be a struggle right in here not today. People that went in for a surgery, took a got a medication, all of a sudden realize they've got an addiction now, and their life, they feel hopeless. Others who've lost control of their consumption of alcohol or even of food, and the result is broken lives and hopelessness. There are people every day that experience unbelievable loss in our broken, depraved, messed up world. Every day we hear the tragic death of someone's child, about this middle school boy who, after football practice, died this last week. Right here in the Triangle. And just a few weeks ago, a, a family of five uh, going to be uh, missionaries headed out towards uh, getting a little bit of training before they went overseas. Interstate 80 in the state of Nebraska, a truck hits them and all of them are killed instantly. Can you imagine the loss, the devastation? in that extended family and friends. And those of us that are left behind sometimes struggle for years or even for a lifetime with a sense of hopelessness, and those people need to find hope. We're always going to have people amongst us in our our community of faith and in our community at large that come from a doctor's appointment and recognize that what they thought was okay is really not okay, and they have a terminal illness or a chronic disease. And life begins to seem hopeless. Others struggle with depression. Some because of some life-changing circumstances. Others, they've struggled with it their whole life. And every single day that they wake up, some of you know what I'm talking about personally, every single day that you wake up, you wonder if life is worth living. And you need to find hope. And those are just some of the reasons why we have to be people of hope. People that have been changed by the life-changing message of the gospel. I'm not simply talking about coming to church on Sunday morning. Some of us that equates to relationship with Jesus equals I come to church once a week. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a life that is so contagious, that is so fixed upon eternal things, that people that you do life with in your neighborhood, people that you do life with in your place of business, whatever it is, at your school, they go, give me some of whatever that person has because we're living out the reality of a life that has been transformed by the gospel. The psalmist said it in Psalm 42. We think it was David who wrote it. He asked the question, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? What's the answer? I'll go sit down on a sofa for $200 an hour. Please tell me what's wrong. Psalms psalmist didn't have that as an option, I don't think. And so he said, He said, Hope in God. It's the living hope. The reality of The resurrection. That there is a God, that he does love us, that he did, did send his son, that we can enjoy the relationship that we were created to have. The hope for the world, of the world, is only found in the power of God working through the hearts and lives of people like you and like me. And that's why this year, uh, our theme, and you'll see it tonight when you get our, our, uh, our annual vision report, is that we want to be a people in a place of hope. And I want to say what an incredible blessing it is to be on that mission with people like so many of you. I say like so many of you because some of you aren't on that mission. I I still love you. I'm glad that you're here. I just wish you'd get on board with the mission and the vision of being a people in a place of hope. But for so many of you, and some of you do a much better job than I do or others on our staff do, we're so motivated on a regular basis by some of you that passionately live out your faith in this community, and you are a people of hope. So thanks for, thanks for that, and thanks for partnering with us to make a difference. Would you stand with me, and we'll pray, and uh, we'll sing one last song, and we'll go out singing. How about that? Let's pray together. God, thank you for who you are. Thanks for uh, your love for us. Thanks for how you demonstrated it that we were such helpless hopeless people. In fact, living in 2016, were there no cross, were there no resurrection, we would be helpless hopeless people, only to simply find satisfaction for a few decades before we died. And yet because you loved us. Because you demonstrated Romans 5:8, your love for us in that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us and then was resurrected we have hope. God, make us a people of hope, and as a result of that, collectively, make us a place of hope for this community and for this world, we pray in Jesus' name.